0: Open your Bibles with me to John chapter 13, we're going to move on in our discussion. The series that we've been talking about has been entering into rest, but we've really kind of started to go in a different direction. I just felt as we were worshiping this morning and um, as even we were listening to that wonderful special number, just to ask myself this question and therefore to ask each of us this question, and that is... Who is Jesus to you right now? Is he a concept? Is he an idea? And this can change in a day to day basis. Because you can, this is why the Bible tells us to continue to be filled with the Spirit. It tells us to continue to do certain things. It talks to us, Peter talks to us about being diligent about certain things. Why? Because the reason that we need to continue to be filled with the Spirit is because we leaketh in daily life with all the issues of life around us and all the things pulling at us it's very easy to get distracted and to let our heart get distracted and we talked a number of weeks ago about, about, about the warning in Hebrews 2 that we not stray away or wander away or be pulled away from the, the foundation of our salvation which is our faith in Christ so we, that's why we need to be diligent in the things that we do. We need to be diligent in, our, in spending some time with the Lord every day, and throughout the day. We need to be diligent in spending some time in the, in the Word. Not so that we can check it off that I fulfilled my obligation. It's like you don't eat in order to fulfill an obligation, do you? You don't drink water or fluids to fulfill an obligation. You eat and you drink water and fluids because you need them to survive. Now, it's wonderful that it's pleasurable and we can enjoy it, but I've got news for you. The Word of God's pleasurable, and you can enjoy it. And, the, and fellowship with God. In fact, if, if your prayer life is a burden, if it's obligation and it's hard and you don't look forward to it, then that's an indication that there's something that you're not experiencing because God's the most exciting being that exists. The Bible tells us that there's a rest that we can come into and that's a rest in the Spirit and resting from, this, from our own efforts. And so I just feel like challenging us, you and me, you know, where is my real personal relationship with Jesus? You see the most exciting thing in my life? We sang, Jesus, you the be the center of my life. Well, is he? Not the center of my activity, but the center of my heart. Is he what I get up for? Is he what I do go through my day for? And I suspect that all of us can be challenged in that area. But the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Because that's what motivates us. Is When you get a taste of something, I want more. I, I, ha- I have trouble having a little bit of ice cream because I get a taste of ice cream, I want more. So my wife said, well, let me give you a little bit. I said, well, I know what's going to happen. You know, if somebody says, have a little popcorn. There's no such thing with me as a little popcorn. Because once I have that, if I don't have that first piece, I'm okay. I have that first piece, I'm not going to stop with one piece. And so that's the way we need to be with Jesus. Taste and see that the Lord is good. John chapter 13. All right. We started with a scripture which I'm not going to turn to, but it's over in Matthew chapter 11. And, and that's really what we're jumping off place. At. It's Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29. Jesus says, Come unto me, all you that are weary and, and, and labor or heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so the, we talked last week about Jesus is telling us if we're weary spiritually, if we're weary physically, if we're weary with life, His solution is to come to Him. Not what we so often turn to, to come to Him. But then he tells us what to do. Come to me, he says, and learn of me. Not from me, of me. So what he's saying is, come to me and then look at me. Because as you begin to look at me, what you're going to learn is going to bring you into that place of rest and that place of blessing. So that's what we're doing. We're beginning to, all right, respond to what he's telling us to do, to come to him and to learn something from him. Now the Bible's pattern for learning is not the way we typically do it in our schooling system, school systems. We learn by communicating information, even at the younger grades. We teach them math facts, we teach them, you know, English, you know, grammar and things like that, and that's fine, but the Bible tells us that we learn heart issues by association. The book of Proverbs is full of lessons that... Solomon wrote to his sons, and therefore to us, that we learn things, we pick up attitudes, good attitudes and bad attitudes, by relating to people, by who you hang around with, which is why Proverbs warns young people to be careful who you're associating with, because you will tend to pick up their attitudes and the heart that they have. But there's a positive side to that. If you hang around and associate with and have in front of you as models people that have a good heart, a good attitude, you'll begin to pick that up because it's contagious. And what Jesus is saying to him, come hang out with me because my heart and my attitude is contagious. Paul said to several churches, he said, imitate me. Have you ever noticed how 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 much, you may not realize it, how often we imitate the people that we're around? When I'm reading books in a certain vein, a certain area of focus, I find I'm all stirred up in that area. And then I start reading books in another area and I'm all stirred up in that area. It's not because I'm double-minded, but my tendency is to imitate. And that's the way God made us. He made us to be raised in families where we would, because if the family is healthy and whole the way God intended it to be, we would begin to imitate our parents in their their attitude and their relationship with God, and as a result, we would be drawn into our own relationship. Paul says to the churches, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So Paul's vision was to imitate Christ and therefore to be an example to those around him. And that's why we have to be very careful because we are affecting the lives of people around us. You're affecting people in your family. You're affecting people at your workplace. You're affecting people that that come in contact with you and have any awareness of you, whether you realize it or not, whether they realize it or not. You are having an effect on them and that effect is either drawing them closer to Christ or giving them an excuse to fall, go further away from Him. And so what we do, the way we conduct our lives, not just by the outward things that we do, but it's the inward attitudes of our heart, those are the things that begin to come on the outside and affect people around us. And it can be very powerful. I mean, Jesus drew people to Him before he even said things to Him. Paul says, as I imitate Christ, and He drew people to Him. And the question is, our, what is the effect of our lives on people around us? And if we don't seem to be affecting anybody, maybe we need to look at our own relationship with Him because He's not leaking out of us. He's not coming out of us. And so Jesus has come to me and learn of me, learn about me. And then He tells us what about Him He wants us to learn, that I am meek, and lowly of heart. And so this is what brings us over to John 13, because, of course, this is one of his last conversations he has with his inner group of disciples, his 12 disciples. He had a large following then he had what were called the, the 70 which are the ones in Luke 10 that he sends out and there are other places where he commissions them and these he calls disciples they were consistently following him learning from him but then he got called they're the apostles of the Lamb the ones he called specifically to to be in his inner circle and those are the 12 and then out of those, he had three that were specific, especially close to him, Peter, James, and John. And then out of those three, there was one that he had a particularly close and intimate relationship, and that is John. He's the one that had the revelation that Jesus loved him, and we've talked about that before. So Jesus is meeting with the 12. This is part of his last conversation with him because before everything's going to change. He's going to go to the cross. Yes, they'll see him again, but he won't be the same with him. Now he's going to commission them to go out and do what he was called what he was training them to do. And notice he trained them by associating with them, by having them be around him so that they would, and teaching them to do certain things and giving them certain exercises. But now he's talking to them about the attitude of the heart. And this is really the, the essence of what he wants to get across to them before he leaves them. And we've looked through this. We've seen that it says he loved him them to the limit, to the end. Verse 1 says... And this is, when the, while the meal was going on, some translations say when it's over, he stood up and he went around and he went over and he took the towel and the bowl of water, the basin of water, and he went around and began to wash their feet. And we talked last time and really the time before about that's the F, that's the work of the lowest servant, that in a household, if you came into the household where your feet would be dusty and dirty from walking uh, on, the, on the roads because they wore wear, wear sandals and their feet were exposed, that the lowest servant would take you your shoes off, your, your sandals off and wash your feet with the basin of water that was kept there and then probably put your sandals back on again and it was so common and so menial and so, so, so lowly it was given to the lowest ranking servant in the household and you most likely would not even notice it was going on but this was a rented room there was no servant assigned there and, but, the, but, the, but the landlord knowing this custom had provided the towel, the bowl and the water for them to do this most likely, assuming they were going to wash their own feet. But of course, nobody washed anybody's feet. And somewhere in the point, it became obvious that Jesus gets up and he goes around and he takes off his garment, his outer garment, and wraps around him the, the towel of a servant, of the lowest servant. And he gets down on his knees and goes around and begins to wash his disciples' feet. And this is what we've been looking at. So let's pick up Verse 6, and then he came to Simon Peter, and we've talked about this last week, and Simon said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And what he's saying there, and this is what we spent time on last week, Jesus is saying to him, he goes, well, let me read on, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but you will know this no, after this. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered and said to him, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. What we talked about last time is that what Peter's attitude is, and and to a large degree, we can have this attitude without realizing it. Peter's attitude was, Lord, I know who you are. I'm the one that the Father revealed you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I know you are the Lord. I know you are the Messiah. I know you are the Chosen One. I know you are the Son of God. And you're going to wash my feet? No, 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 no. I should be washing your feet. And that sounds wonderful. Doesn't that sound so spiritual? Doesn't that sound like a commitment? Peter's saying, "I saying, I know who you are. I should be serving you, I should be worshiping you, I should be honoring you, and Jesus goes on and says yes, but before you can do that you've got to allow me to serve you you've got to allow me to do something to you, and Peter says no, oh no, I can't let that happen, and what's getting revealed here is spiritual pride what I'd never seen before, because I'd looked at this story many times before and said, well boy Peter really didn't have it right, did he? until a number of about a month ago, God began to deal with me and show me the Peter in me. That my relationship with God was, was based mainly on my commitment to serve Him. And I was always falling short. I've got to do more. I've got to pray more. I've got to give more. I've got to do more. And Jesus is showing Peter had the same attitude. That his relationship was based on how committed he was to Jesus. And it sounds good. This is why it's deceptive because "Well, of course we're to be committed to him. Of course he's Lord. And that's true. But the foundation of my relationship with him can never be my commitment to him. Jesus is saying, no, it has to be his commitment to me. And he's saying, you can't even get into the family. You can't even get into the kingdom unless you allow me to serve you. And the washing of the feet here is not something, and I know there are churches that practice this and that's fine, but he's talking far more than just washing somebody's feet he's talking about allowing them to serve you and Jesus is saying you cannot get into the kingdom, you cannot get into the family unless you humble yourself enough to allow me to serve you and we learned last week that unless we do that everything we do is an effort to establish for ourselves our relationship with Christ instead of allowing him to establish it in us and so peter's reaction then is okay if i have to let you wash my feet he says then lord not my feet only verse 9 but my hands and my head and jesus says no no you still don't understand this he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet but, he, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. What he's saying here is that once, once I... Because he's, he's going to talk to him about going to the cross for them. Once I've cleansed you by my blood, you don't have to get cleansed again. But in the process of life, your feet will get dirty. And so you need to come to me when that happens, and allow me not just to have washed you that one time, but allow me to wash your dirt that you got on you through this day's life's activity, and in other words, forgive you, to come to the cross for forgiveness. You see, there's some people that, there's, the Bible, the church always goes to one extreme or another. And so you've got, you know, generations before that everything was at the cross, you know, and therefore we we never get past the cross. We're so we're unworthy. You know, we're worms in the sight of God, and we're only here by His grace, which is true. But we never went, They never went on to victory. They went never never on to overcoming things. Everything was going to be in the future when we got to heaven. And so, about fifteen twenty years ago, we began to have a teaching begin in the church that we're more than conquerors through Christ, and that we are sons of God, and that we are seated at the right hand of Christ of God in, in Christ, and on all the glory things that come to us through Christ. And that's wonderful, but we go so far with that, we forget the cross. And we take it for granted. We just assume. It's kind of you walk by and say, hi, thank you, Jesus. And we go right on into the throne room without, and it's the balance of the two. It's the balance of the two that we need to. And the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit is when you start getting off balance in one way, if you're sensitive, he'll show you and bring you back. As long as you're willing to move and not hanging on to something just because you think that's right. Because we're human. We just, you know, from day to day, we can kind of drift with the wind. It's like a boat setting its its course on the water or a, an airplane setting its course. It sets its course. They file a flight plan. They set their course. But between takeoff and landing, most likely they got off that course somehow. And there's systems in there to warn you that you're off course and you begin to come back. Well, you have a much more reliable system in you to warn you that you're off course. It's called the Spirit. It's called your Spirit. Uh Uh-oh, something's wrong. But you need to live your life in a way that you're sensitive to that. Sensitive to that prompting of the Spirit. All right. So what Jesus is doing here, Jesus is, remember, Jesus is teaching them something about himself. So that's what we're going to go on and look at today. And the reason he said in verse 9, verse 10, but not all of you are clean, verse 11 explains, for he knew who would betray him, and therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he'd washed their feet and taken his garments, he sat down again, and he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? I just did something powerful. Did you get it? You know what I've done to you? And now he's going to explain it. And this is what he wants us to learn about himself. You call me teacher and Lord. This is what Peter did. You're Lord. I shouldn't be washing your feet. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. In other words, you've reacted to what I've just done. What, what, what embarrassed you is because the Lord's doing this for you. And he said, You call me teacher and Lord. You've got that right. I am the Son of God, I am the Messiah, I am Lord. I am the rabbi, I am your teacher, you call me that, and that's what I am. So I didn't do this because you were wrong, I am the Lord, I am who you see me to be. But this is the lesson. Verse 14, and here's what I want you to know. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, then you ought to also wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And what I've never seen here before is what Christ is doing here is He's revealing to them His heart. He's revealing to them His nature and His character. And this is what religion misses. Because religion does what Peter was doing. You're the Christ. You're the Son of God. And He is. And put Him in stained glass windows and, and worship Him as high and lift it up and someone we can never attain to. And He's saying, yes, I am those things. But as the Christ, as the Son of God, I left that place and came down here to be among you. And I came down here as the God that created the universe, as the God of holiness and righteousness. I came down here to walk among you so that I could wash your dusty, dirty feet. Wow. Wow. It says in Ephesians, I think it's chapter 2, that if the rulers of this age had understood that, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Satan, it never entered into Satan's mind that god 's Son would come to this earth and die for them, die for such, for such as us, and Jesus is saying, "This is who I am. I told you earlier to come and draw near to me and learn of me. This is what I want you to know about me. Yes, I am Lord, yes, I teacher. Yes, I am the the, the Messiah. I am those things. But the essence of being Lord, the essence of being Messiah, the essence of my nature is that I've come to serve you and to do whatever it is you needed. Now, if I, Lord, the one who created all of this, if I, the Messiah, the Son of God, if I have come for this purpose, and that's my heart, then you should go and do likewise. imitate me, in other words, take my nature on you, <clears throat> begin to act as I've given you an example. And see, what we've done is we know we're supposed to go take care of each other. We know we're supposed to serve each other, but we do it as an obligation. I'm supposed to do it because I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to do it because it's what the Bible says. I'm suppo- but see, any time we do something because I'm supposed to do it, then our heart's not in it. Then it's an obligation. It's like the child says, "All right, I gotta clean my room." Mom says, "I gotta clean my room." I gotta clean my room. All right, let this stuff goes over here, and we'll shove this under the bed, and this has gotta go, so I can come out and say, "Mom, I did it. I cleaned my room," and that's very subtly can be our attitude with God. Yes, I served. I served in church. I did what I was supposed to do. You know, they asked for people to work in children's ministry and I did it because I know they, I'm supposed to do that and I prayed today because I'm supposed to pray and I did that be- but our heart's not in it. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't come with that attitude? Aren't you glad His heart was in it? The beginning of that chapter says He'd love them to the limit. He held nothing back. This is what God's trying to get across in Romans 8.32. If I spared not my own son, but delivered him up for all of you, why would you think I would not freely also give you everything else that I have? It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And so Jesus is saying, you're right, I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. I am the Rabbi. I am the Teacher. And if I've come with this attitude... For you. Use that as an example to be like me. Not do what I did to be 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 like me. And if you're be like me, then you will do what I've done, but with your heart in it. And this is going to be very important for where God's calling us to go as a church. This is why we're taking time to lay this foundation. Verse 15 again, For I've given you an example that you should do as I've done. For most assuredly I say to you that a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than the one who sent him. Verse 17 says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And the tendency that we have is to read these things, to listen to sermons on them, to get inspired by them, and we feel good about that because it encourages us, it gives us hope, but the blessing is when we then go do it. We begin to act on what we believe. Well, let's take a a look at another uh, insight into this. Let's go to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's kind of a loaded question, isn't it? We're going to ask you something. Tell us now that you're going to do it. Now, Matthew's version of this says their mother came to him. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your glory. Now, just understand what that meant. In, in the ancient world and in that culture, the positions of authority and honor was obviously to the one that's sitting on the throne is the king. He's the ruler. He's the source of authority. Everything comes from him or her, But then, the next highest position of authority was at the right hand of the king, and that was usually going to be for the prime minister or whoever was in charge of carrying out the king's edicts. The next highest position would be on the left-hand side. So what James and John are asking is that in in, in heaven, in glory, when this is all over with, that they be given a position that's exalted above the rest of the disciples, that be right up next to Him. They're looking ahead of time for their position in heaven. And it's fine to be looking ahead to make sure that what we're doing here is determining some things there, but Jesus is going to tell them in a minute or so that that was not His to give. We're getting an insight into their heart. And Jesus said in verse 38... He said to them, you don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? Now, let me explain to you a little bit what he's saying there because it kind of ties into something we teach on spiritual authority here. They're looking for the the authority and they're looking for the, the prestige that goes with that position sitting next to him. Jesus doesn't see it in terms of prestige and in terms of authority. He sees it in terms of responsibility. Because his question is, if you want that authority, are you able to take on the responsibility for which that authority is given to carry it out? Because spiritual authority is not an end of its own. Spiritual authority is a tool that's given to you to carry out a responsibility that you've been given. So whenever God gives authority to somebody, it's because He's already given them responsibility. And we like the authority, but we don't want the responsibility. And God gives responsibility first, and then in order to carry that out, He gives you authority. So authority is never a badge or of prestige or an honor. Authority is simply a tool God gives us to carry out the responsibility. Here's a great example. They're talking in terms of authority and prestige and position. And Christ is looking in terms of responsibility. He said, all right, if you want to be there, If you want to be right next to me in that position, are you willing to take on what I've taken on to get there? And of course they say, Oh, sure we are, having no clue. And He's so gracious. This gives me hope. But He says to sit, verse 40, But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to give, for it is those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, just to let you know that there was not a big difference here, when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. Why? Because they wanted that position. So in his own staff, his inner group, <clears throat> they still don't have this heart yet. They're still thinking in carnal terms about position, about authority, about prestige, about titles. And they're trying to jockey for position, not now, but in heaven. And Jesus' first answer is, it's not mine to give. And now the rest of them begin to talk among themselves against James and John because they were just bold enough to speak what the rest of them were thinking. This is his inner core. They're fighting for position. Okay. Okay which is why in John 13, Jesus says, you don't understand this yet, but you will. So in verse 42, Jesus called them to Himself, and notice He called them to Himself, and said, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lorded over them. Now He's talking about in the world system that you've been raised in, this is how it operates. Gentiles means people that have no covenant with God. They lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them. So in the world system, the way it operates is you want to get to a higher position of authority so that you can lord it over people. In other words, in the world system, the idea is when I'm in a higher position, I'm there to lord it over you, to remind you who I am, that I'm the boss here, I'm the one in charge, so you need to recognize who I am and the position that I'm in. He says that's what the Gentiles do, those that have no covenant with God, those who don't know God. What we're going to see is God's not like that. If God were going to lord it over us, where would we be? How could we contend with Him? How could we argue with God? And this is what he's trying to teach them. Verse 43, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even... And see, I've, been, I've taught that and been taught that before. But what he's saying here is what I want you to do is to imitate me as I've imitated my Father. This is what my Father's nature is. This is. Therefore, this is what my nature is. <clears throat> Even so, the Son of Man, that's Himself, <clears throat> did not come to be served. Was He worthy to be served? Absolutely. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. John chapter 1 says, The worlds were made by Him and through Him and they didn't recognize who He was. He came to His own, and they did not accept Him. I mean, the irony in that, the irony in that, He's born into a world He created. And we've learned before, well, if you create something, you own it. He's the owner. His Father threw Him. And then He came to His own, Israel, the sons of Israel, the nation that had been called into a covenant with his father, he came to his own and they received him not. The very men that were going to drive the nails into his hands, he gave them life. The nails they were going to use, he created the raw materials from which they were formed. The tree from which they cut the cross came because he spoke life. Pilate, when he stands before him, and Pilate's trying to find some way out of this, and he's giving him the accusations against him, and he doesn't answer him. And Pilate's almost frustrated and say, like, "Man, don't you know I've got the power to put you to death?" And it's the only time Jesus opens his mouth. He says, "You have no power that wasn't given to you by my father." In other words, what you're about to do, I've authorized. Jesus didn't go to the cross because they caught at him a moment of weakness and they ganged up on him. He went to the cross because he chose to go to the cross. He chose to be beaten. He chose to be scourged. He chose to be spit upon. He chose to be stripped. He chose to have a crown of thorns put on his head. At one point he says, don't you know I could call down thousands of legions from heaven and deliver me? Aren't you glad he didn't? The Son of Man, the Christ, the Messiah, didn't come to be served. He came to serve. Why? Because that's his nature. This is not something he just worked up and decided, you know, I need to do this for 33 and a half years. This is his nature. This is the Father's nature is to serve. The kingdom of heaven works on the opposite principles of the kingdoms of this world. We talked about that a few years ago. We talked about the upside-down kingdom. The world system says if you want to have something, you better go get it for yourself. God's kingdom works on the system. If you want something, then give what you have. And this is another one of those principles. If you want to go to the top in the kingdom of heaven, the top in the kingdom of heaven is at the bottom, serving. Okay, let's move on. Quiet in here. That's good. We're listening. All right. For the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. And how did He do it? To give His life as a ransom for many. Ransom means He paid a debt He didn't owe. And you and I owed a debt we couldn't pay. And He came to pay our debt for us with His own life. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. We'll see this in a little different context here. Verse 5, Let this mind be in you. In other words, think this way. Have these thoughts, which was also in Christ Jesus. So, we talk about having the mind of Christ. That means thinking the way He thinks. So, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is how His mind thinks, because this is where His heart is. Who, being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, that's a little convoluted way of saying he had a right to consider himself equal with God. John chapter 1 says, "...in the beginning was the Word." That's the Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God." So before he came to this earth as Jesus, born from Mary's womb... He was the Word of God, the full expression of God. He's always been there, and the worlds were framed through Him. So He did not; cons- it was not robbery for Him. He wasn't taking something He wasn't entitled to, to consider Himself equal with God. So that's the position He was in for all of eternity. And what did He do from that position? He made Himself, the New King James says, He made Himself of no reputation. Other translations will say He emptied Himself, and that's probably a little better, because the word there is kenosis, which means an emptying out. It's like turning your pockets inside out. Whatever's in there, you just... See if I got anything there. You just, you know, you just... You empty it out. You empty yourself out. And by the way, that's the real issue we all have. We're still too full of ourselves. I've got to get my way. I get disappointed. I'm disappointed because what I expected didn't happen. And I want this to happen and it didn't happen. And I did this and I this. And how do they think of me? And what do people think of me? And what does God think of me? And what do you think of me? And am I, am I, 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 me, 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 me? We're too full of ourselves. Even in good ways, I want to do my best, I want to do be faithful to God, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna. And Jesus wasn't at all concerned about him. He emptied himself of all of that authority, of all of that glory, of all of that position, of all of that honor. He emptied himself. It wasn't taken from him, he gave it up willingly. We know that so because in John chapter uh, 17 when he's praying to his father, when he's about to be crucified and return to the father, he asked the father to restore to him the glory that he had before he came. So he asked to restore something, that means he didn't have it right now. He put it aside, the glory, the majesty, all that we see in the little glimpses we get in him in the book of Revelation, he laid that all aside to come here and to take and wrap himself in the towel of a servant to wash us. He emptied himself. He emptied himself. And have this same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. And made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bond servant, coming in the likeness of men. That doesn't mean that he was any less of a man the form of a bond servant, that's a particular type of servant. There were servants that were, became servants because they were taken against their will. They were slaves. But a bond servant is someone that entered into an agreement, a bond, with a master that they would be their servant or their slave either for a particular time or in many cases for life. In return for the master committing to take care of them and provide for them. And so it says Jesus took on the form of a bond servant. He wasn't forced. This was not something against His will. He chose to become a servant to you and me, taking on the likeness of flesh, of human man. You and I cannot begin to understand what a step down that was for Him because this is all we've ever known. But this flesh is what gives you trouble. It gives me trouble. It what gets tired, and we got to give it rest. It what smells, and we got to wash it every day. It's what gets us in trouble. It's what starts looking at that candy. I know I shouldn't be eating, and now that candy's talking to me, and I'm beginning to taste it with my mouth, and I have to have that. That came through your eyes, your nose, your 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 taste buds, anticipating. That's gets it's your body that gives you trouble. It's your flesh, and you willingly took flesh on. He willingly took on the weakness of flesh. Now his flesh was different than yours and mine because he was born... The flesh part he got from his mother, Mary. But the nature part he got from his father. This is one of the reasons it had to be a virgin birth. Because his nature came from his father and that was conceived in her by the Holy Spirit. And so, although he had the capacity to sin... He didn't have the tendency that you and I do. If you leave your body alone long enough, it'll sin. Because it's like the wheels of a car that's been driven in New England in a winter like now. They get out of alignment. You get them out on the highway, and they'll begin to wander a little bit. You have to get the adjustment made, to get back them realigned. That's what coming to church is. It's a realignment to get us back in the right alignment by hearing what the what the measuring it according to the specifications. But Jesus' wheels were not bent. They were He was born with a body that did not have that tendency to sin, but it was capable of it. Because it says He was tempted in all ways as we were, yet without sin. So that's what it means when it says He came in the likeness of man. It doesn't mean He wasn't a man, but He came and took on flesh. Wow! I can't imagine what a transition that must have been. What a step down in prestige. It's like... It's like deciding you're going to become an ant, one of those ants that gets into your kitchen in the summertime. I'm going to become a little ant, you know, which you want to go or poison or get rid of. And, and have all those... Lim- and, and that's not even beginning to describe what this must have been like. But he chose to do that. Have this mind in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself even further, and became obedient to the point of death. Not just death, but the death of the cross, which was the most humiliating type of death. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, that's in hell, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved... As you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but also in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's not talking about working to get saved. He's taking the salvation that was put in you and work it to the outside. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. So what we're learning here, what Jesus is telling His disciples in John 13, as He talked to them in Mark chapter 10... Because I've come as an example to you I've come as an example to you and what I just did for you as an object lesson of washing your feet is a tangible example of what I'm about to do for you in a much grander and a spiritual scale I'm about to go to the cross and give my life up for you my perfect life sinless life I'm about to take your sin on me I'm about to take your dirt on me and I'm about to give you my cleanliness. What greater way to serve? I'm going to take your guilt, your shame, the punishment that you're due because of it. I'm going to take all of that from your past, all from the future. I'm going to take it all from everyone. And I've come here to take all that dirt, all that shame, All that guilt, all of that on myself and then pay the price for it so that it's paid in full. See, we're going to learn as we begin to talk about the gospel that God's mercy doesn't mean He closes His eyes to things because then He'd no longer be righteous. But He paid for it in full on His Son on the cross. And then Jesus says, we're to go and do the same for others. Well, am I going to go to a cross? No. But he does say, take up your cross daily and follow me. What does that mean? We have the challenge and the responsibility to daily be willing to empty ourselves of ourselves. When someone has a need and I don't want to do anything, I want to keep this for myself, I want to keep my time, I want to keep my rights, I want to keep this, then we're holding on to ourselves. We're holding on to our garments and we're not willing to lay them aside and take on the towel of a servant and wash someone else's feet. You know, when when you forgive somebody, you're washing their feet. When you talk to them about Christ's forgiveness, you're the towel with which he's using to wash their feet. When you love somebody, when you just reach out to somebody. See, the gospel, preaching the gospel was more than just saying words. Jesus didn't just say words, he did things. He went to where they were, he met them where they were. He allowed interruptions in his life. I talked with someone last night, a couple years ago when Lafayette Scales was here. He did his whole series of lessons out of Matthew chapter 9, which was one day in the life of Jesus, but it's one interruption in his day after another interruption in his day. And as he allowed himself to be interrupted by people's needs, God worked miracles through him to deliver and to set people free. And so the giving up of ourselves is giving up of what I want to do today, maybe, and allowing him to use this day filled with opportunities so He can wash people's feet through us. Maybe not get down on your knees and physically take their shoes off, but meet their needs somehow. Sometimes it's not much. Sometimes it's just the time to listen to somebody. It's to say, how are you? you say, no, how are you really? Because a lot of times the reason we don't ask that is we don't want to know. How are you doing today? Good. So, you know, I, oh. Well, I'm busy, you know, I got things I got to do, you know, and so, but are we willing to just stop and really listen to somebody? It's amazing what listening to somebody does. It communicates acceptance. You're important to me. You're important to me to actually set aside what I'm thinking about right now. There's a good lesson in this, husbands. And, And listen with my heart as if what you're going through mattered to me. God does that with us. Isn't that amazing? God, with all He's got to deal with? There was a movie years ago where some guy, I knew who it was, but I want to get into it, was suddenly put in the position of God and all the requests for prayer started coming in. And he gets an email, just blew out, you know, it's like that, like that. And it's like, oh my goodness. But see, God doesn't get overwhelmed with your requests. But isn't it amazing with all the millions of people in the world? takes the time to listen to you why because you're important to him you're valuable to him he treasures you, what you think what you're going through right now it even says in the Old Testament he holds your tears he collects them he remembers the pain you've gone through, he remembers even after you've forgotten it it matters to him So we serve in many different ways. It's not always just what I do. It's the attitude of my heart. And so we're called to be like Him. Since we are His brethren, since we are sons and daughters of the living God, God has put that capacity in us. And that's why Jesus said, Blessed are you if you do these things, not just hear these things we're going to end here because what I wanted you to see and this is what it was all about is it's not just the responsibility to do this but to see this is his nature and this is his heart and he displayed it by doing this for us he washes our feet every day he keeps us clean John 1 verse 7 says if we're if we're if we sin he's faithful and just to forgive us if we confess our sin He's faithful and just to wash our feet and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we come to our Lord and Savior. And we confess to you that we struggle so often with holding on to ourselves and we often carry around this inner sense of guilt. I know I should be loving more. I know I should be serving more. I know I should be doing more, but it's so hard. I don't want it. It's so hard. It's going to cost me something. And Lord, we just continue to feel more and more guilt from that. Help us today to take our eyes off of ourselves and what we're doing or not doing and to get lost in who you are and what you've done for us. And that as we do that, we'll desire to imitate you. We'll desire to follow you and to do what you want to do. So today, my prayer for all of us is that you would open the eyes of our understanding to see your heart towards us. And not just what you did for us, but why you did it. That it made such an imprint on our hearts that we would have a desire in us to imitate you and to be as you are for that's what you've called us to be. For the grace to do that, we thank you today. In Jesus' precious name, Amen.